End Times Podcast, Perpetual Night. Courtney Love and Hole. It's a video of a song called Violet. One of her better songs. I think she's underrated. She obviously put a lot of effort into trying to be um, a mainstream performer. Like, this is a real video. Take a look at it. It has a lot of art to it. Good old Courtney Love. I'd let her into my bunker. All right, so stick around, and you will. Um, you can hear "I Hear You Knocking" the "I Hear Hear You Knocking" segment. In this episode, we have Stevie Wonder of the '80s versus Prince of the '80s. So '80s Prince and 1980s Stevie Wonder. Uh, they're knocking at your bunker door. Which one do you let in? And we'll discuss that right after this. All right, so welcome to another episode of End Times Podcast. And I wanted to talk about Perpetual Night. Perpetual Night. So you hear about Perpetual Night and you think about, um, oh, I live in the in the ice caps. You know, I live in the polar or whatever near Santa Claus, blah, blah, blah. And it's dark for months on end during the winter. And that's, yeah, that's what they mean by Perpetual Night usually. But in a... Um, end of times apocalyptic scenario um, perpetual night could be one of three or so major disasters that we're overdue for that could create perpetual night all over the world so um, nuclear nuclear um, you know are we overdue for a nuclear war or has that time passed and we talked about it a lot. If there ever was a real nuclear war, there would be a... Um, if you weren't in a region that um, that was directly hit, you still would suffer. There would be darkness for a long time and radiation in the atmosphere for a long time and um, pollution all over the place for a long time. So it would cause a major depopulation scenario. But... I want to talk about the darkness aspect. Um, scenario number two. Asteroid. Asteroid is... You know, I, I tend to not believe like the Hubble and the, uh, the Hubble spacecraft and NASA and all these people that say they could see 
oh yeah, I could see a solar system uh, 800 million light years away. There's a little moon. It's, it's probably Earth-like. Like, you, they can't see that. They can't see that. They can't. They, they can't possibly see it. They're just imagining... It's like when you're a little kid and you you know it's dark and you you imagine there's a ghost or something. They can't see that. So there's no way they can see that. This is just them being trying to get funding or trying to get news or whatever and they can make up anything they want. They could say anything. In reality it would take even a radio wave uh, a zillion years to get to that little fake earth that's, you know, 100 million miles light years away. It, it's just nonsense because every now and then I'll see some news report like, hey, an asteroid just missed the Earth. Like, we didn't even know it was coming, and, like, some asteroid comes out of nowhere and almost hits the Earth. So they could see some galaxy a zillion miles away, but they can't see, like, an asteroid that's a uh, hundred, you know, thousand miles away or something. Wow, that asteroid almost almost touched us, and that's not a lot of, of distance. And asteroids have hit the planet before. And it wouldn't take a huge asteroid to cause perpetual night. It could just be an asteroid the size of, like, um, you know, the Nabisco factory where the Keebler elves are and such, right? That's Nabisco? Or is that something else? There's that Keebler, or is it something I think there's some inbreeding in the in the Keebler Elf factory. Something's going on there. All right, so um, so you know, perpetual night. Uh, you know, could be caused by something like that. Um, and then the third scenario is probably the most likely scenario to create perpetual night. Let me see if you can guess it. I'll go on Final Jeopardy and see if you can guess it. It is volcano. All right, so volcanoes have gone off in the past, and they've caused um, near extinction level um, level circumstances in the world. So if a volcano goes off, um, and there are some that are well overdue, including in North America, then the whole um, the whole world. Uh, will be covered with soot, it'll be in our atmosphere, and there will be perpetual night. So, And if you're in the immediate area of the volcano, things are just going to get even worse for you. So um, there were two, in just our relatively recent human history, there were two near-extinction events for humans. The first was 150,000 years ago in what scientists call the Marine Isotope Stage 6 period, and it's named that because of how um, oxygen was analyzed um, from DC, deep sea sediment. And um, so the marine isotope stage six period. It was a type of ice age where not only did the polar caps and glaciers around the world expand, but deserts did too due to the atmosphere effectively sucking moisture out of the sky and it like sucked it into the ice. So the ice caused more deserts to form. And um, so the atmosphere became very dry. And significant parts of Central, Eastern, and Southeastern Africa, uh, where all the humans lived 150,000 years ago, uh, were affected. And it's estimated that the human population dwindled to 
less than a thousand people. So right now we have eight billion people in the world. There were less than a thousand people back then. The second near extinction event was around 70,000 years ago, and it followed the eruption of a Sumatran volcano called Toba. And rather, it wasn't just an eruption, but it was a super eruption where so much ash and gases were thrown into the atmosphere that, um, that all life on Earth was threatened. And you have to imagine, even sea life is threatened by lack of sunlight. There was so much. So it's estimated that um, this Toba eruption was 10,000 times worse than the Mount St. Helens eruption. So that much more ash was thrown into the atmosphere. And um, so what happened? The skies were dim for six years, resulting in worldwide cooling and a massive dying of vegetation from both cold and um, poor light. So, again, the human population dwindled, and some estimate that there were only one to 5,000 people left on the planet during that time. The good news was, all right, because that happened, um, people started to leave Africa. They were like, you know, forget this crap. Africa sucks. And uh, a green corridor emerged that led up through like the desert of Egypt along the Nile and um, people were able to escape Africa and go into Europe and Asia. So that helped diversify the world. And the rest is history, as they say. So that is what happened in the world um, that there, you know, that there were these major um, circumstances. Now, 150 70, so are we due again? You know, does this happen every 70 years or so, 75,000 years? So are we due again? I've been working on, on a theory that's kind of complex, but maybe it's true, where, um, where maybe an end-time scenario, you know, a lot of people try to, like, throw, like, you know, throw shade on your, on your idea that, oh, yeah, I'm preparing for the end of the world, but Maybe, you know, where reality isn't exactly as we think it is. And we are in some kind of, you know, quasi-reality. Um, and, of course, an apocalypse is going to happen because that's what we're told. It's part of the script um, that an apocalypse is going to happen. And maybe, you know, the world does begin and end with our lifetime. Um, so, and... You know, all of the literature, including the Bible, kind of ends with like some kind of um, some kind of bang. So maybe you know we should be prepared for this, whether it is real or quasi-real or some kind of computer-generated um, reality we're living in or something. Maybe it's not fruitless to think about some kind of massive depopulation scenario and and how we handle it. And in some ways. You know, maybe this can give you peace. Like, we all have stresses in our day-to-day -day life. And we have bills and we have, you know, stresses and, and people and, um, and all kinds of worries. And maybe knowing that someday um, everything will change. And 
we won't have to worry about all of these things anymore. We won't have to worry about um, paying some bank loan, you know, or whatever it is um, anymore. Maybe that can give you some kind of peace. They say if you're riddled with anxiety, just imagine yourself um, dead and that someday you're going to be dead. And in a weird, morbid way, that gives you some kind of peace. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe these problems aren't so bad because someday they won't even exist because I won't exist. So, but we want to exist as long as possible, right? So um, being prepared for the end of days is, is somewhat, you know, it's a useful exercise at the very least. Um, so how would it play out? Perpetual darkness. Well, I ran it through my um, my simulator, you know, world event simulator, um, trademarked and uh, not released. I have a world event simulator program that um, that I just use for myself. I just use it, and it says here's exactly how it would play out. If we have six years of perpetual darkness, which is what the last volcano caused. Um, you know, darkened skies where light's barely coming through. It's like being in a murky pool of water at the bottom of it, and you can kind of look up and everything looks weird. Um, there's going to be massive die-offs of plants and animals, including sea life. So it's not going to happen instantaneously, but it's going to happen. So at first... You know, when winter comes, and um, when it finally is somewhat kind of spring-like, and spring will be much colder than usual, um, the plants won't come back. The trees won't bloom again. Uh, you know, you won't be able to do crops. So they'll be gone. The animals that live off of such... Um, such vegetation will be eaten by predators and so the predators will live for a little while longer eventually the predators will go after other predators so you know if this scenario happens um we start going hunting for deer but also wolves are hunting for deer the deer are gone we start hunting for wolves now, does it get to the point where we start hunting other humans? And that could be, you know, that could be a survival um, method in a lot of the world. I don't see it happening really in most of the develop in the most of the industrialized world, but in the developing world where there's massive overpopulation and they get a lot of their food from countries like the United States. Um, you know, there could be problems. Japan, for example, is they're really tightly packed on that island, on those islands. And the sea life won't disappear immediately, but it will eventually, it will eventually disappear. You know, it'll be really hard to get. There's going to be a lot of death. Countries like China and India have over a billion people. And at least 800 million of those are in dire poverty. Will those governments just say, hey, forget those people. We don't have enough food to go around. Um, sorry on them. 
will wars erupt because a country like India or China, they need to raid more prosperous countries and um, and get material. Like, will, will wars erupt? And then, you know, will wars lead to nuclear war and create more perpetual night? Will that level of desperation exist? So I tend to think the United States, which has an abundance of food already, can withstand six years of, of perpetual night for the most part. Now there will be there will be competition and there will be people who take advantage of the situation, create a certain level of lawlessness. There may be some um, military law in places. Some people might just get killed because they are victims. Uh, their house is being robbed and people are desperate. In rural communities where the people actually live off the land, it might be a little rougher because the land won't be producing anything and they'll be reliant on the government. I think our government can, you know, and our industries can stretch out our food supply. They can, you know, add preservatives, add fillers, add all kinds of things, ration the food. We currently have so much extra food. If it were just properly rationed, it could last a long time. There are reserves, there are grain reserves. Um, the, you know, the fish and wildlife wouldn't necessarily die instantly. Um, some fish and wildlife could reproduce even in darker circumstances, and that can be farmed. Um, so it's not, it's not a hopeless situation. Um, some electrical plants could go. So, you know, nuclear could still continue. Nuclear power plants could continue to produce. Perhaps they can create lighted greenhouses where certain types of plants can be um, grown. Um, you see what marijuana dealers do it, so why not just do it for um, parsley and, and celery and carrots and those types of things. So, yes, it would be a massive expenditure of resources. Solar power would no longer work, but... You know, we could start to tap into tap into reserves, oil reserves, and things of that nature. Um, but you know, there would be burgeoning wars. How would communications work? Radio waves might not work well in perpetual night situations, or they might work really well if there's an ashy um, atmosphere uh, coating over our, our planet. And um, AM radio waves might bounce from. You know, you may be able to get. AM radio from St. Louis to um, Baltimore. You know, you might be able to get like radio stations from all over the place because the, the radio waves are bouncing further. So there will be a communication system, the internet. I don't know how that will work. So reliant on electricity. Some place, the grid will have to probably be rationed as well. I don't think they're going to want people playing Nintendo while there's a, like a world wide catastrophe going on, so maybe they'll parcel out electricity accordingly. Um, but I think, you know, the United States might be able to do okay. The The United States would have to up its, its protection of the borders, and, um, you know, because there'd be masses of people maybe trying to uh, leaving desperate situations, trying to enter the United States. Um, so, you know, the border situation would have to get under control a little bit. 
But, you know, of course it would be hairy. Of course it would be more dangerous. Of course a lot of people will just die because either they have to join the military, they're conscripted, crime will be rampant, um, hospitals might not be working well or to full capacity, so people might die for other reasons. Some people require having a proper infrastructure in place. I'm not saying there won't be a big die-off if, if the skies were perpetually uh, dark for six years. But would it be you know to the point where there's only one to 5,000 people left? I don't think so. I think there'd be millions of people that would be able to weather this. It just would be rough. You know, we all would need our t-shirts after that said, hey, I survived um, the volcanic eruption of 2021. We'd all have to, it would be like this pandemic times a thousand, you know, uh, as far as our durability goes and our, our mental health goes. Much of the rest of the world would be reset. It would ha They would have a lot of trouble surviving in much of the rest of the world. Um, you know, who knows if Europe would get overrun because they have neighbors that would love to just enter into their into their countries there in Europe. Um, and would they get overrun? Would their uh, liberal policies for letting in immigrants have to be curtailed? You know, so, so what's going there? Uh, would countries like Russia take advantage of the situation and try to... You know, it seems like Russia always wants to play chess. It's like in their mentality. That's why the best chess players come from Russia. They always seem to want to, like, everything is a freaking chess game to these people. So would they want to, like, use this situation to advance their own interests? Or or would they just, like, be worried about their own problems? It's like, hey, what are we going to do here? Um, it's all complicated. So perpetual night, something to think about. All right, let's do an I Hear You Knocking. All right, it's the I Hear You Knocking segment. No, you can't. All right. The I Hear You Knocking segment, the only segment of its kind on the whole internet where we imagine what it's like to be in a post-apocalyptic scenario and having to choose who enters our bunker. We can only pick one, we only have room for one, and we pick two names. So this time I decided to go on an 80s nostalgia site and I picked the first two names that came up and they were Stevie Wonder and Prince. Stevie Wonder and Prince were the two names that popped up for I Hear You Knocking. So we're going to imagine them, Prince has passed, and Stevie Wonder, you know, if you were going to ask me in the 80s who will live longer, Stevie Wonder or Prince, um, you know, who's going to still be around in the year 2021, I would say, oh, Prince will still be around. He seems like a healthy young fellow. Uh, but nope, Stevie Wonder's still around, and uh, he seemed old when I was young, but Stevie Wonder's still around. But we're going to imagine them in their, in their wonderful um, primes of the 80s, and, um, and they're knocking on our door after a scenario that, um, where poison is raining down from the sky and fire, and, and they're saying, please let us into your bunker. Okay, so we have two people to choose from, and um, 
off of this 80s nostalgia site, I got um, Stevie Wonder popped up first. So I'll go over him first. All right, obviously vision impaired, uh, blind as some might say. Now, is this blindness real? Is it real? There's all kinds of sites that say, hey, maybe, uh, maybe this guy, um, he's faking it. You know, when he was young, there was Ray Charles, and Ray Charles was making a lot of money as a blind performer. And and maybe, you know, they got um, little Stevie Wonder, and they said, hey, you know, put on these sunglasses. You know, I, I know your vision's, you know, you're not blind, but it, put on these sunglasses. And before he knows it, you know, life goes on, and... Um, and he's really not blind. Now, you know, what are some of what's some of the proof that he's not blind? Well, um, he seems to date beautiful women. So if you're blind, like, what's it matter? Like, wh why do you really need to have sighted people tell you, hey, that's a beautiful woman you're with? Like, does is that all that necessary? Now, I know you still have the sense of touch and... You could feel the contours of someone's face, I guess. But beauty is such a, a, you know, in the sense of, wow, you have a beautiful girlfriend. It's such a visual thing. And, you know, if someone is, like, in the ballpark, you'd have to kind of believe it that they're, uh, that they're a beautiful person if you're blind. And you would think that a blind person might be above that. So, you know, that's one proof. There's a video on the internet of Stevie Wonder. He's like sitting at, you know, he's sitting somewhere uh, at a table or something, or maybe it's at a piano, I'm not sure. And he is, uh, and there's a lamp next to him, and it's about to fall off the table. And his hand reaches out and grabs the lamp, and he catches it before it falls. How do you do that? Now, some people theorize, you know, that, Blind people develop um, almost a sense of sonar where they can they can f sense what's happening around them um, just like a bat that happens to be blind, you know, doesn't fly into the wall. It kind of has like this sense of, of what, what is happening around it. The brain adapts and, um, and you know, and develops um, where it can kind of sense, you know, if you're about to walk into a wall or walk off a cliff or, or something like that. And I do think that, that people can sense that if they have like a heightened sense. Some people are better in the dark than others, for example. So, you know, I think that, you know, maybe, maybe there's something there to that. If, if our end time scenario happens to be perpetual night, then... Um, you know, then he definitely comes in a lot more handy than um, than Prince. But let, let's go over this, you know. All right, so we're in an 80s mindset, and these two people are knocking on the door. The other one is Prince. Now, you know, later on that decade and into the 90s and 2000s, you know, we learned that Prince might be a little bit difficult as a human being, might be hard to work with. Um you know, he kind of, and maybe rightfully so, you know, he had his, his arguments with the record companies and he would sometimes, um, he would do concerts, but he would be disappointing in the concerts. He would like, 
um, just turn his back to the stage. And uh, so all you saw was his back or turn off the lights. And or sometimes he'd say, hey, I'm going to do a little concert. And then he would just play a record of his. And that would be the concert. A little bit of a disappointing person, hard to deal with, you know, tough, biting personality, um, you know, hard to um, hard to get into uh, hard to get into the the spirit of of having fun and all of that. Um, small, you know, diminutive, uh, you know, he, he seems spry, but I guess he had a lot of like it was revealed a lot of arthritis and stuff from all of his um, stage performing and such in his earlier years. And maybe that's why he was on all kinds of medications towards the end, and those medications had something to do with him passing. All right, so these two people are knocking on your door. 80s Prince is in his prime, Purple Rain. He's kind of cool. You know, you saw him in the Purple Rain movie, and he seems like he could handle a motorcycle. it seems like he's a little bit of, um, he could defend himself a little bit. You know, he has like little scenes where he has to defend himself and seems to have like a larger than life persona. Um, has no problems with confidence and, um, and that's Prince of the eighties and all right, Stevie wonder, um, obviously, you know, his blindness might be a handicap, although if it's perpetual night, maybe not. Um, Seems to go with the flow a little bit. His music's more mellow. He could probably, you know, in a darkened um, bunker, you know, he could entertain everyone. Um, but in the 80s, we already considered him, like, a little bit outdated in the 80s. Like we're, younger people did anyway. And, you know, obviously he's had a long, enduring, and very, very talented career. I think if these two are knocking, I think the star factor would come into play here. And I think that, you know, they'd both make their case. And it's, it's not a blowout, but I think he'd go with Prince. We didn't know then that he, you know, could have been a little bit of a jerk and a diva and hard to deal with and, and all of that. Um seems, you know, spry, active. He's also a musical prodigy. Um, you know, he could entertain us in the uh, in the bunker. I don't, even though he seems to have an alpha personality, I wouldn't really view him as a threat to um, to the chemistry of of the bunker because just physically he couldn't commandeer the the bunker you know i've mentioned in other podcasts that sometimes if you have an alpha person and you let them into your bunker they might take over um but those people tended to have physical attributes that would also enable them to be able to take over along with with the strong personality type um he has the strong personality type i really don't think he has the physical attributes to be the leader in someone else's bunker. So I think those that confidence and his ability to um, be proactive are a plus in this scenario. So I think I'd go with Prince, and that's it. That's the verdict.
All right, so that's I Hear You Knocking. And um, check out more of these podcasts. Go on endtimespodcast.com, email us at endtimes at campusxm.com, and we'll put your thoughts on the air. All right, you'll be famous. All right, end of End Times Podcast. Listen to the end of our theme song. Ha <laughs> ha!